0: You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Yeah? Philippians chapter 4. Before I, word morning, sent to us from, it's the organization that a group of us left to go serve early last month, says, Dear Chad, Tiffany, Jim, Justin, Josh, Sarah, Connor, Kenzie, Mimi, Jamie, Bev, Amanda, Josiah, and Hannah. On behalf of all of us here at Shelter Services, I would like to thank you for all the incredible work you and your entire crew did. Your gift of serving and all of your hard work is greatly appreciated. Your willingness to help them to help demonstrates a kindness not everyone experiences. The front of the building looks amazing with the new lattice work and the painted doors and the soffit, not the soffit. Mm. And the rear porch ceiling looks incredible. The new light out back really lights up the thrift store parking lot, adding the security to the store and the shelter. And if you don't know anything about this place, um, they actually have a thrift store um, that people staying there can go and work to earn a little money. The, f- the future tenants of the two apartments will be very happy with the cleanliness of the apartments and how nice the fresh paint looks. The upstairs tenant has already seen his place and was very pleased with the job that was done. We are extremely happy with all the work you and your crew did to improve the shelter, and look forward to working with you all again in the future. This was signed Jane, and everybody knows Miss Jane that went up there, the director. You know, when we um, when we left that morning, we were able to um, attend service with Josiah's Way that Sunday morning, and Pastor Caleb had a message, and, and it really it really said something to me. You know, he opened it with a Star Trek quote, which, you know, I'm a nerd, and I kind of understood, even though I don't always follow Star Trek, but he said, go boldly, and I think when our minds are set on God's Word, and we dwell within His Word, His instruction, our obedience to it, I think we can go boldly. So again, this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and I ask that you stand with me as we read God's Word. Beginning in verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Jesus Christ. Verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the peace of God be with you. Please be seated. I shared this on Facebook a couple weeks ago, maybe longer than that, but it was a quote by Ralph Waldo, Ralph Waldo Emerson, sow a thought and you reap an action, sow an action and you reap a habit, sow a habit and you reap a character, sow a character and you reap a destiny. You see, and I thought about that I as I was reading through Philippians again, Paul used three different words to describe here in the beginning, right praying, In everything, every situation, supplication and thanksgiving, right praying involves all three. Whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to get alone and get with God. Adoration or worship is what is needed. We must focus on the greatness of God and the majesty of God. We must realize that he alone is big enough to solve our problems, that he who created us will also sustain us. And I think too often when we go to the Lord in prayer, many times we go hastily so that our needs are immediately met and our approach to the throne should always be with the deepest reverence of who he is. You know, supplication being a sincere sharing of our needs and our problems or what what troubles us. And again, with prayer, there's there's no place for half-heartedness. Supplication is not a matter of the fleshly but a matter of spiritual intensity. And again, after adoration and supplication comes appreciation, giving thanks to God for the things he has blessed us with. And I'm not talking simply about material things, but everything. How often are we eager to ask, but slow to appreciate? So right praying depends on the right kind of mind, and this is where we're going to be this morning. Paul counseled those in Philippi, beyond, and those of us here this morning to keep our minds focused on kingdom things, and take everything to God in prayer. So, what do you think about? What do you focus on? I believe these verses provide a reminder or a connection in the Christian perspective between our actions and our thoughts, our thinking and our doing, between learning and living. Paul reminds us here how important our thoughts are. And in verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And these verses are a reminder to us that we're not what we think we are, but what we think we are, what we dwell on. Certainly, our thoughts reveal more to us about our true characters than any other thing, And then it's when our actions follow our thinking that we give testimony to our thoughts. You know, we, we must understand that our thoughts are real and that our thoughts are, are very powerful. And here in chapter 4, Paul has issued a practical call to the church. He's called them to pray instead of worrying that the peace of God guarding their hearts and their minds in Christ will not come back void. It will be the right thinking of the Christian as he or she follows the pattern of thought that's provided here for us in these verses. You see, a mind that's full of verse 8 will have little room for the anxiety that he speaks of before, nor for the kind of peace-disrupting, joy-destroying thoughts that is often the case when we train our minds to focus on that which God approves, rather than think of focusing on things that he doesn't. You know, and I think back to earlier last month when we all met up here so early on a Saturday morning to pile in three cars and head up north to Pennsylvania, and we got a short way up 85, and I don't know if you've been on 85 lately, but the construction's been going on there since, I think, Eisenhower instituted the interstate system, but you get get right past Spartanburg, and you're heading towards Gaffney, and, you know, there's signs, and, you know, imminent construction head warning, you know, traffic delays, but there's a particular section, and there's actually been a lot of wrecks there uh, in the last few years. But the lane splits into smaller little chutes or thoroughfares, and it goes on for miles. So we're sitting there in, you know, standstill traffic, you know, moving about five five feet every, you know, five minutes. So Josh is sitting in the passenger seat. I have Josh in the car with me, and I have Hannah and Kenzie and some of the other kids, Josiah, behind me. And Josh is all bundled up, has his hoodie over his head, closed up, oblivious to what's going on around him. And I'm balancing soda cans on his head. Now, the kids thought this was funny, but it sounds familiar, right? Often we as Christians, instead of praying about things or taking action or standing up, we pull that hoodie over our head and we're oblivious to what's going on around us. But then those of us that were driving, we had to decide which lane were we were going to go. Are we going to go around the construction? Are we going to try to take this little frontage road off the next exit? That's a reminder to us all that with our minds is what we establish, either the lanes or exits that we take and the actions we follow. Subtle reminders that as Christians, our approach is to establish thinking them based on what is excellent and praiseworthy. Which lane will we choose? Which exit will we take? The things of which God approves or the things that which the world holds us to? Are we going to take shortcuts? Are we going to take the path of least resistance? Are we going to stay in the lane he established for us? And Paul provides us a list here in this chapter of of things we should keep our minds on, things we should focus on, the first of which with his truth, whatever is true. And I want you to think about the series Pastor Chad just finished last week on the armor of God. You know, it was Paul in Ephesians 6 that describes from the armor that they're to put on in Christian warfare. He says, to have the belt of truth buckled around your waist. He talked about, you know, a soldier in Paul's day had a leather girdle or a belt that they would tie it around their waist to protect themselves and carry the weapons of warfare, such as, you know, daggers or swords. But that belt also held his tunic together or held it up so it wouldn't get snagged in battle. The belt of truth in Christian armor is the foundation that holds everything else together. If you're not guided by truth or not prayerful about the small things of your life, How do you suppose you're going to handle the big things? When we fail to wear the belt of truth, we make it impossible to benefit from the other aspects of the armor. And that truth that is found objectively in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that truth that is subjectively carried out obediently as believers and followers. And he says, whatever is noble, this means what is worthy of respect, what is honorable. Others' translations say, whatever is honest. Paul is saying, I want you to be training your minds to think of that which is the opposite of the frivolous, selfish, or trivial things. This word suggests a seriousness about things. There are many things that are not respectable. You know, we as Christians are not not supposed to spend time thinking about or dwelling or lingering our thoughts on these things. And simply putting things into perspective, professing believers will have no problem thinking seriously once the professing believer gets around to seriously thinking. The reason we see people who don't think seriously is because those people don't seriously think. I believe among the greatest problems in the modern church is the absence of thinking and prayerful consideration on all things amongst those who are professing Christians. I believe we are to be different than the world. We're not to be the kind of people who continuously fill our minds with junk and social media posts and TikTok videos or all the things that encompass or enslave secular society and their thoughts. We are to be thinking about dwelling on truths that are only true, but noble, honorable, honest. And among those things, that which is right. This is talking about things that are more morally pure or undefiled. When we're thinking along these lines, it will shape our choices, guide our choices. This is contrary to the kind of thinking that makes decisions on the basis of what is expedient, convenient, or provides momentary gratification. You know, and I can remember back 20 years, 50 pounds ago when I was in the Army. I would try to come home as often as I could because, I'll be honest, I got homesick, so any chance I got, I would. I would, you know, immediately after formation on a Friday, I'd leave base and I'd, you know, head on I-40 West and come back to the mountains and totally disregard anything I had to get done over the weekend in preparation for Monday. But I remember when I would get back to base, right outside Fort Bragg, there would be signs along uh, Yakin Road, actually, I can remember it now. You know, boot shines, $5. Haircuts, $8. Uniform pressing, 7 $7. No credit, no problem. Come get that car you deserve. Countless gentlemen's clubs with just graphic and vulgar signage. And all these things were calling to you simple, just momentary happiness, simplicity, or instant gratification. You know, the haircuts, the boot shines, uniform pressing, that was helpful in a tight pinch. I mean, you know, I spent the weekend away. Instant credit gentlemen's clubs, whole other animal. But 20 years later, the world isn't much different. If anything, I believe it's gotten worse. And how are we going to make God-honoring decisions unless we have our internal GPS set on the lane, on his lane, before we start? There's no telling where we might end up, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Outside of Christ, we can do anything, and there's no telling where we might end up on the basis of how we feel in a moment, what fleshly need or selfish desire we want met. That's why it's important to choose the lane we're going to be in and the exit we're going to take as we go about life. It's like construction on the interstate. Our choices will affect us for the next five miles, possibly the next five hours, or if the Lord sees fit in the next 50 years, and eternity. It's not... I think about when, when... how this distinguished Joseph from David... You know, when the temptation came, Joseph made a decision on the basis not of what he was wanting or or what was momentarily gratifying. You know, he was pursued by Potiphar's wife, and if you remember in Genesis 39, he said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He didn't say, I don't think this would be a good idea. He didn't say, you know, this might be okay, but what if people found out? He said, how could I do such a wicked thing? And sin against God. Joseph was thinking on the basis of, basis of what was right, and then he applied what was right to that situation, and he ran from that temptation. But we live in a society that's become used to making quick decisions on the basis of what is easy, what is self glorifying, what is self gratifying. We are called to stand out by making prayerful decisions on the basis of what is noble and what is God honoring. Paul says to First Timothy 5.22, keep yourself pure. You don't have to have a doctorate in theology to understand this because John spoke of this in First John 3. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. This comes down to simplistic levels for us. This is right here where we live our lives. Are we going to make a decision based on what we want? Or are we going to make a decision based on what we know is God-honoring? Often I find people saying, the temptation is too great. I ask, how much greater is your God? Maybe you're surrounded by people who don't think think as you do. Or believe as you do. This doesn't mean we pull the hood over our heads and Oblivious to things around us or, like an ostrich, throw our heads in the sand and distract ourselves from what's going on. We simply need to focus on God honoring things that help us be the light in the world and remember the message of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. And that we're continually being sanctified by the Holy Spirit and pointing others towards Jesus Christ. And Paul says, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... The word here means which promotes brotherly love. It's the opposite of friction. Friction and animosity are easy things to produce. And ether can be produced at the drop of a hat. But what he's talking about here is that which approves and pursues the acceptable and the pleasing. That which is accompaniment of genuine grace. Admirable is translated in the King James Version. What is of good report? We also see this in Paul. The 2 Corinthians 6 were the very phrases used talking about those who give bad report or those who give a good report. It has to do with fair speaking. It has to do with listening to reports that build people up as opposed to listening to gossip, which tear down, which disappoint, which destroy. So how do we apply these things? How should we behave? How should we act? How should we treat one another? What should drive us? What should motivate us? Check it against the list. What should my morality be? Check it against the list. How should I decide who I spend my time with? Revisit the list. What should I read? And I love the analogy that Alistair Begg gave on this, if, describing God's word. If we are like the sheep, and this is where we graze, his word is the fields. This is the grass to eat. Remember, it was Paul who talked about it It's God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. If we're to know and enjoy the power of God at work within us, if we're to experience his peace upholding us and his presence securing us, then we must surround ourselves and our circumstances with prayer. And that's backing up to verse 6. Don't be anxious. Pray about everything. We must drill our minds In godly thinking, and we must submit our lives to the Word of God. What we learn, what we received, what we've heard, put it into practice. And there are times, there are various seasons of life that challenge us more than others. Different trials we each encounter. There are difficult days that seemingly overwhelm us all. And I don't mean to make a rash generalization here, but it is a strong observation. I find many times that what eludes professing believers are foundational things which each of us as Christians should know and act upon. Our circumstances are to be surrounded by prayer. Our minds are to be sharpened by the truth of God's word. And our lives are to be obedient to the instruction of scripture. I find often that people's minds are neither sharpened by truth, Their lives are not under the instruction of God's word and they do not surround their circumstances with prayer. You see, we're to lift each other up and encourage one another in God's word. You know, what's the point of learning and reading all this if we don't live it, if we're not convicted by it? Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God be with you. These verbs here, these actions, learned, received, heard, seen. If our minds are to correctly be fed, they need to be nourished by the teaching and the preaching and the example of the word lived out. You know, we should be diligent in our attendance when the word of God is being preached. You know, coming to church on a Sunday morning so that we can look, listen, learn, encourage. So that we can receive and so that we can be properly equipped to go and put these things into practice. But it shouldn't just be an hour-long thing that comes and goes once a week, forgotten about when we walk out those doors. You know, I don't know if you pay attention when you're leaving, but there is a sign. In the upper left of that door that says, Now entering the mission field. This is where we're equipped to go out to that world. Paul says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, do it. Paul says, Follow me as I follow him. It's the words of Jesus in John thirteen, fifteen. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He doesn't say, Now you know these things you're blessed. It says, now you know these things, you would be blessed if you do them. And I ask you this morning, what is your measuring stick? It's something we talked about in Sunday school this morning. It's amazing how everything just connects. What do you measure the things to make your decisions? You know, politicians use popularity polls that drive their campaigns. Filmmakers... They're not considered marketable unless their movies do well at the box office. You know, big companies will make decisions based on charts and graphs and a bunch of number crunchers looking at things. I I don't understand profit and loss reports, but many people use popular opinions of their friends or social media influencers. Charts, opinions, people vary. God's word does not. Sometimes the source will change its mind concerning a topic. God's word is eternal. What do you use to decide? Do you go by the infallible word of God? Or do you succumb to what others say or tell you to do? You know, I believe many people are living miserable lives because their minds are not focused or, or they're confused about what guidelines to use for their life decisions. But God gives us a measuring stick that is unchanging Jesus Christ. And we have his written word and it is God-breathed. And Timothy explains how valuable God's word is to us. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, preaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It is helpful for teaching and instruct, instructing. Reproof. When someone has done something wrong. Correction to restore someone to the right state and training in righteousness, which the instruction whose aim is to increase virtue. So what is your measuring stick? We can't separate outward actions from inward attitudes. There's lanes to be followed. We're to take the truth of God's word and we're to live it. And there's a promise to be discovered, not only that the peace of God will guard and keep us, but the God of peace will be with us. Standing firm on, on His Word and give ourselves obediently to His truth. Fill our minds with what is real as opposed to that which is worldly, phony, self gratifying. The serious rather than the frivolous. The right rather than the convenient. The loving, not the conflicting. You now, how do you measure yourself? Determine how you are doing. Do you measure yourself against the Word? Or against others? Do my internal convictions match my external life as observed by myself and others? And more importantly, God. We live in a culture that thinks truth is relative, truth is subjective, and there is no such thing as absolute truth. And those who attest to absolute truth are arrogant. Our righteousness is but filthy rags. But not only that, do we believe that there is absolute truth, but that that truth is in the person of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin and died for those who are in him. Do you read? Rather, do you dwell on the word of God? Are you continually implementing into your life the principles God has revealed to us in that word? Paul balances four activities into two verses. Learned, received, heard, and seen. It is one thing to learn a truth, but quite another to receive it inwardly and make it a part of our inner selves. As Warren Wiersbe would say, facts in the head are not enough. We must also have truth in the heart. In Paul's ministry, he was not only taught the word, but also lived it so that his listeners, his brothers and sisters, could see the truth in his life, Jesus in his life. Paul's example ought to be our example. Dwell in the word, receive it, hear it, do it, be obedient. If we're walking with the Lord, then the peace of God and the God of peace will have influence over every aspect of our heart, every corner, every shadow, every square millimeter. When we disobey, we lose that peace, and we know we've done something wrong. That's called conviction, and that should be followed by repentance. But right praying, right thinking, and right living, these are the conditions for having secure mind and victory over that worry. We cannot serve two masters. And what good is the armor Chad has preached about for the last month and a half if our head isn't in the game? Our thoughts aren't dwelling on him. Either we yield our heart and mind to the Spirit of God and practice the right praying, thinking, and living, or do we yield to the flesh and Find ourselves torn apart by worry. And I'm going to invite the band to come back up to the stage, but I ask when you get ready to come to church on a Sunday morning, we're all distracted. Kids are fighting. Breakfast isn't made. Dogs hanging out on the roof. Do you take time to prepare your hearts? For Worship with other believers when you sit here and encourage and hear the word of God and and talk to each other Do you leave it at the door? Or do you carry that with you into the mission field? Do you wait till the following week or a few weeks when you feel the tanks getting a little low and you come back to church and say Okay, the tanks full again. I'm good Or does that word dwell richly within your heart? I Pray it does And I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, that the Spirit convicts your heart before it's eternally too late. I pray that those of us that do have that relationship are obedient and point others towards Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that our minds are prone to wander. But, Father, we know your spirit will convict us. And, Lord, we pray that we just keep our minds focused, keep our lanes like that car on the highway set on things that glorify you. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the debt he paid, the price he paid to reconcile us to you. Father, we pray that if there's anybody here this morning, or anybody out, that our lives are a witness to his work, and that your spirit will convict their hearts. Father, we pray for everybody as they leave here today that they will take this message and not just take it as a fleeting moment, but again, let it just sink in and dwell within their hearts. In all this, in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Please stand and worship with us.